When traveling, I don't know a lot of people when they travel, they're always looking for different things to see. Some people like going to the lake or the cabin or the or friends. They just want to chill. They just want to hang out. Other people, they want, they want the, the amusement park. They want the rides. They want the thrills. Some people, I want to see something unusual. It could be architectural, something like that. And I ran across these things, and I, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, from, from the crowded tourist spots in the U.S. to the streets of London, from the, the remote villages in Thailand to the, the busyness of Japan. There are incredible architectural things all over this world. But I've never seen an upside-down house be such a big thing. This is Niagara Falls, Ontario. St. Petersburg, Russia. This is Orlando, Florida. Alfred in Germany. And I'm not going to pronounce Zimbark wrong, probably Zimbark, Poland. All of these upside-down houses, they're all over the place. And I'm thinking, why build these houses? I mean, obviously, it's for entertainment value and, hey, come tour, you know, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. I don't know what they charge. But I'm sure it's an attraction for entertainment. But to live in one, that's not the purpose, right? Why would you ever want to live in an upside-down house when I feel like right now we're living in an upside-down world, okay? Um, I, I, don't, I don't need that, okay? I, I need things to be right-side up. But you're like, what does that have to do with sermon? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, but when Jesus came, he came as the king of kings. He was announced coming through this, this uh, King David's uh, lineage, and, and he's announced as coming in as a king. And at the end, he pronounced himself as the king of kings, and and even um, the, 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 his whole um, messages revolved around his building his kingdom. So he's a king with the kingdom. And as people of God, as if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you have received the salvation from him. You're a part of the kingdom, his kingdom. Now here's what you need to know about his kingdom. It's upside down. And that's what a lot of people, they look and we start going through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You're going to say, that's not the way this world operates. Exactly. It's upside down. What Jesus teaches and preaches is really uh, topsy-turvy. And we go through and we look at different things. And he says this. Um, he says, uh, to, be a ser- to be a leader, you must be a servant. To truly find life, you must um, die to yourself. To Get back at your enemy, love them. You want to be rich, give everything away. It's like it's so upside down. It's sort of confusing. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Like I said last week, we're sort of going back to school here. The Sermon on the Mount is a message of hope and instruction for God's people in his kingdom. And it's going to feel like it's upside down at times in what he says and what we're supposed to do. Now, last week, I, I dipped into the book of Proverbs, and I don't want to confuse you here. I went to the book of Proverbs because I want you to understand how powerful and purposeful God's Word is. And then I also wanted you to see what is our attitude towards God's Word. Are we seeking it? Are we pursuing it? Are we chasing after it? Because there's purpose there, and there should be an attitude as a believer in Jesus Christ towards God's word. And then the last thing was, are you prioritizing your walk with God? That was, that's what I got out of Proverbs. Because here we go, as citizens of heaven, we want to get into the Sermon on the Mount. You better have a passion for it and understand its purpose and prioritize in your life because it is important as believers in Jesus Christ, as people of his kingdom, what is the kingdom all about? 
So let's start reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We'll pick it up there. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 4. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, the previous chapter, as we get into this section, the previous chapter mentioned that multitudes of people came to hear Jesus. So as they came, Jesus, I don't know if you picked, a, picked this up, but the message, the message that he has is going to be huge. And they're all gathering. And it's a message that everybody needs to hear. Charles Spurgeon said this, A crypt or cavern would have been out of all character, for a message which is to be published upon the housetops and preached to every creature under heaven. People recognize everybody needs to hear this message. This is nothing to just like, let's talk about it in a small little Bible study. That's okay, that's good. But everybody needs to hear it. And Jesus gets up on this mountainside and his, his people have been gathering. And, and check out what he does. Notice two things about his, his posturing and his pronouncing. It says that Jesus took a seat and began to speak. See that in verse 1 and 2? He, he took a seat on the side of the mountain. It's so opposite, upside down from what we do today. I'm standing, you're sitting. You go to school, the teacher's standing, the kids are sitting. Back in that day, the teacher's going to have a seat, pull all the chairs out of the sanctuary, pull all the chairs out of the classroom. They're going to stand. Why is that? I don't know. A lot of times when I'll speak to group, different groups or teams, I might not have them, I might have them stand up. I might have them do something else, take a different posture. Why? Because we can get comfortable sitting where we're at, really comfortable. And we start, you know, get too relaxed instead of getting in a posture of leaning in and saying, what am I going to hear? What does God want to say to me? And so Jesus has a seat and everybody else leans in. And it says he opens his mouth and it's like, yeah, so everybody opens their mouth when they talk. Unless you're a ventriloquist, right? But here's the thing with Jesus. When it says open his mouth, the Greek here means that he enunciated clearly and pronounced loudly. He wanted to make sure everybody heard exactly what he was going to say. It was like a trumpet making every note clearly sounded and uh, penetrated out into the audience so that everybody could hear exactly what Jesus was going to say. So, Sermon on the Mount, it begins with these Beatitudes, blessings. 
giving the believer, giving citizens of heaven, basically the attitudes that you should be having. You could sort of look at it that way. But all these, all these characteristics, all these traits, all these beatitudes, these are like the goals of a Christian. They're like stepping stones for Christians. This is part of your journey as a Christian, these beatitudes. These are not the things that get you into heaven. Some people are like, I gotta do these things to get to Christ? No, we've already established this. Placing your faith in him, surrendering your life to him. Through the grace of God, you receive something that you did not deserve, that I did not deserve. God's grace. And so I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I start this journey with Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And now these things, these beatitudes are part of my journey. If somebody claims to be a Christian, but yet they never display or any, show any desires for any of these things that I'm about ready to preach on, you might question their faith. You might wonder if they really have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't go around recruiting people that matched these eight Beatitudes that we're going to talk about. It was like he, he met people right where they're at. They gave their life to him. They followed him. They journeyed with him. And then he built this into them, into their journey. So he begins his message with describing those who are in his kingdom. And if you look, there's a repeated saying. He says, blessed are or God blesses. The idea behind this ancient Greek word for blessed is, is happy. But in the godliest true form, it's more of a spiritual joy, not contingent upon your circumstances, what's going on around you. It is an internal thing. We know the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, right? So this happiness is an emotion that we have based on circumstances. But I can have something bad go on in my life, but the joy of the Lord is still present in me. That is still there. And in this situation, it's, it's like God's looking at you. And I was listening, I'm going through trying to figure out translation and reading different theologians and so forth. I found one that I, I sort of clung to. And that is, it's like God looks at us and he's got this joy that he wants to put upon us. He goes, yes, congratulations, you got it. And he just like pours it on us. It's like, you get it, you get it. So it's like God blesses or blessed are, blessed are you, congratulations, you got it, good job. Does that make sense? It's, it's sort of hard, like, so what is he trying to say? Well, there's great joy in this. So look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, this is not a man's confession that I am um, naturally insignificant or I have no value or I have no money in my pocket. That's not what they're saying there. Because that, that would not be true, first of all, about your, your purpose and your nature of who you are. Each of you have significance. Each of you have purpose in life. Each of you have value. That's how you were created. So it's not that. Then instead, this is a confession that I am sinful. I am rebellious. I am utterly morally um, inadequate to connect with God. I stand before God empty-handed. I don't know who God is. I don't care who God is. I've never worshiped God in my life. But I'm now to a point in my life that I need him. I have nothing to offer to him. I'm a sinful man. I am poor in spirit. I am spiritually bankrupt. That's what he's saying here. And when you realize you've come to your wit's end and life isn't working out for you and you need God, God says, good, Yes, 
Congratulations, blessed are you. You figured it out. You have nothing. And now you're coming to me. Blessed are you, O poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The things that you're seeking eternally are yours now because you have sought me out. They received the kingdom of heaven. If we believe we're good enough to get into heaven just because, oh, my race, my background, I grew up in the church, I did a lot of good things. If you think those things get you into heaven, we are mistaken. We're wrong. We need to be saved. The kingdom of heaven is not done that way. The poor, the despised, the lowliest, those are so poor. We have, no, we have nothing to give to God. We have nothing to trade for. But it is his son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross to give us what we could not have, give us what we could not earn. And so I was thinking about the Beatitudes and these, these eight things that, that God says, yes, you got it, blessed are you. Such joy for you. I was thinking, how, how, can, how can maybe I illustrate this to help you remember it? And here's the thing. I want, to, I want to say this with, in all humbleness, okay? In my mind, I'm always trying to create ways and think of ways to maybe help people remember things. And that might be my pride. The truth is, God will help you remember everything without me. His spirit works that way. You don't me or, or a crazy illustration to help you remember everything, okay? So in my pride, when I, before I come up here and, and preach, I have to pray, God, this is... Forgive me if, if, if you didn't want me to do this, but I felt you wanted me to do this. Um, but you will make this people, these people remember your word more than I ever can, so please do. That's my prayer. So I just want to let you know I'm not my heart behind this before I do this. So I've got an illustration I thought of I wanted to use to help you understand the Beatitudes. Now, there was a, a, a message Many years ago, I mean, many years ago, maybe about 25 years ago. And in that message, uh, the pastor preached, and he, he didn't use the ladder. He used a, uh, a rowboat on the stage. And on the stage, he sat in the rowboat the whole message, okay? Out of all the hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons that I've heard or preached, that one is still crystal clear. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe because he sat in the boat the whole time and it kept my attention. I don't know. So I got a ladder here and I'm not going to sit up there. But um, I, I do want to use this uh, as an opportunity illustration. Now, unlike Brian, I need my notes. If I don't use my notes, um, I'm, I'll probably go off on a tangent and my tangent will have a tangent. My tangent will have another tangent. And then somebody will say, you said in church? Like, no, I didn't. I, oh, yeah, I didn't use my notes. So my notes in front of me to make sure I stay in the right direction. But here's the thing. Using this ladder with every step, my foundation is in Christ. But I want to grow in Christ, right? And I, and I was talking to somebody right before church, just like, hey, how's it going? The week's been challenging. It's like, yeah, isn't that the way it is? When you're living for Christ, it is so hard at times. It's so challenging. And it's like, if somebody could just sort of cheer me on, that would be awesome. That's what the Beatitudes is. Jesus Christ is saying, blessed are you. Good job. Keep it up. You got this. Come on now. And so as we look at the first one, the first one is this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You have figured out 
that you can do nothing without God. It is only by your faith in him that you can be who you are in Christ. You follow me on this? Blessed are you, our poor infant spirit, for you will inherit the earth. Now, here's the thing. It's by God's strength, not by mine. Now, without that first step, if I'm a feeble or frail person and I, and I come to a ladder and it's missing the first few steps, I'm like I'm trying to get up there. It's like, man, I need that first one so I can get going. That first one, that poor in spirit, is where we begin. Next step, Jesus says, let me grab my clicker here so I can keep moving through this. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. I believe there's a few things in the scripture where he says, blessed are those who mourn. First of all, church, permission to grieve. Permission to grieve when you are mourning. Permission to cry when you need to cry. Let's admit it, we try to avoid pain. We mask our pain with certain things. We try to cover it up. Sometimes we're just flat out ashamed of our brokenness and we just don't want anybody to know how broken we are. And so when we don't deal with sadness, we find all these coping mechanisms. And, and you, listen, you have permission to grieve. It's okay. Jesus says, blessed are you if you're experiencing grief. It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm not good. I'm not fine. It's okay to walk in these doors. And when Rex or anybody else comes up to you and says, hey, how you doing? Good. So it's, I can tell by your answer, it's not good, by the way. Um, it's okay to come in and say, ah, not so good, not so fine. Blessed are you who are mourning, because you'll be comforted. Now, the Greek grammar here indicates this, there's this intense degree of mourning going on here. Jesus doesn't speak of, of this casual sorrow, but a strong weeping. You just lost your best friend. You just lost the one you've been married to for years. You just lost a child, and you are grieving hard. That's what this is right here. It's a word used for mourning a passionate weeping. But this weeping leads us forward. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Here's another thing about this passage about blessed are those who will mourn. The more clearly I see my need for Jesus, the closer I will get to Jesus. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Man, I need him. And my sin is so bad, it hurts me that I would do such things to dishonor God, to hurt other people. My sin should cause me to be sorrowful. And when I sin, I should feel conviction. A lot of us are like, I don't want to be convicted. Don't convict me. Without conviction, there is no change. Without conviction, there is no repentance. Conviction helps us get right with God. It's not meant to beat you down, but to bring you to a place where you come before him and mourn. Blessed are those who are mourned, because you will be comforted. Again, going back to that first beatitude, they go together. When we were at camp this summer, I will never forget the evening when we saw repentance take place at camp. It, when's the last time you heard a teenager say, I repented that night? Some of you are like, they don't even know what the word is, right? Do, do, we, do I know what the word is? But I heard four different students say, I needed the repentance of God that night. I, I, I sought him out. 
Here's what happened. As the speaker spoke, he said, some of you need to get things right with God. He talked about the darkness and the the sickness of sin. And there was kids weeping. And they came down out of where they were, and they went out in the hallway with their huddle leader, which is their their camp counselor. In the hallway, it was probably half the camp. I mean, they were spread all through, and and, and I'm standing in the doorway because inside, the speaker continued saying, for those of you who do have a relationship with Christ, you need to make a commitment to him about being a little bit more all in or whatever it may be, those kids all came down too. And as they were coming down and, and he was talking to them, I could hear, because I'm standing one foot in, one foot out the door, weeping, heavy mourning. Here's when I know lives are impacted for Christ, when it, you hear somebody weep hard over their sin in their life and repent. It was going on. Meanwhile, back inside, the worship uh, guys came up and they started singing. And as they sang, making a, a new commitment to Christ, a recommitment to Christ, outside, those who just repented and got right with God and, and just flushed their sin down the, the, the toilet, basically, they're like, I'm ready to sing. One of the, one of the students and one of the huddle leaders came and said, can we sing too? We opened the door. And as those that were on their knees and those that were weeping began singing, came together. Blessed are those who pour in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's, it's a coming together. It's, and again, this mourning, that's part of your journey, church. That's not your destination. That's just part of the journey. As we experience healing spiritually, and we experience freedom in Christ, we then begin to grieve for the rest of the world. We look around this world and we're like, man, my heart hurts for this world. The things I'm seeing going on. And then all of a sudden we have this new compassion for others. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are meek or those who are humble. And this is a tough one. We've talked about this word before. The translation is sort of all over the place. It's a little hard to uh, translate because it's it's got that idea. We think meek, we're thinking weak, but that's not it. It's power under control. It's it's having that wild stallion, that wild horse that you can put a saddle on and you can ride it. It's power under control. To be meek means I'm going to show a willingness to submit under proper authority. It means the blessed one is meek before God. And that means I'm gonna submit to God's word. I'm gonna see God and his word as authority, not my word. It means I'm gonna have this willingness to give up my rights, my privileges to God. Instead of acting out and doing, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna trust God. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's gonna get arrested, you remember that? And Peter pulls out his sword. He's like, slashes off the ear of the servant. And she's like, whoa, 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 Peter. I have the power to call in an army of angels right now if I wanted to. That's meekness. Power under control. Jesus had the power, but yet he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm trusting the Heavenly Father. He's got a plan. I'm the one going to the cross. He's got a plan, and I trust him. No matter what we go through, sometimes we're sitting there saying, well, you know what, I could take this under control right now. But maybe, maybe you're supposed to be meek in that moment. And when you are, Jesus, blessed are you who are meek. I know you have the power, but you're trusting me instead.
you will inherit the whole earth. What? Blessed are the meek. You, you get the, you're not going to end up on the short end of the deal. Because a lot of times that's why, we, that's why we take control, right? I'm going to take control to make sure I don't end up on the short end of the deal. And Jesus says, you know what? Blessed are the meek. You're going to get the whole earth. You won't end up on the short end of the deal. Next step. God blesses those who are hungry. Some of you are reading through the Beatitudes right now. I said, how many Beatitudes are there? How many steps are there? We're at four. We're at four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be satisfied. It is, this one might be a little challenging because we live in a place and time where we don't hunger and thirst like other people do, especially back in biblical times. Because if you're hungry or thirsty, you can probably go to the fridge or the cupboard or the pantry and find what you need. If not, you're like, well, I can at least drive down the road and find it there. You know if you're hungry or thirsty, you are going to have what you need. If I'm in the office, I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, I could use a snack right now. It's like, oh, we've got a whole food pantry. I've got a wall of food in here. If I really want something, I could get. It's like, I really don't know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. It's like, how many times, though, after two hours after lunch, like, I'm so starving, right? It's like, you're not starving. We don't get that. But this, this describes a profound hunger that can't be satisfied by a snack. I'm sorry if you're getting spiritually hangry right now, okay? But here's the thing. Nothing's going to satisfy except Jesus. It's a, it's a longing that endures, never completely satisfied on this side of eternity. Not till we get to heaven. This is this thing, though, with us Christians, we hunger for a lot of stuff. Power, success, money, whatever it might be. We hunger for all kinds of things. But do we hunger for righteousness? Do we hunger for justice? Do we thirst for it? David said this, Psalm, uh, let's see, Psalm 27, verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is what? To live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in the temple. David's like, I just want one thing. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to seek him. I want to meditate on his word. I want to worship him fully. We want to be right with God. We go from being poor in spirit and mourning and meek, and that's like, I'm, I'm, I'm hungering. I'm hungering for him. I want to I be holy. I want to make better choices in my life. I, I want to do the right thing. It's like we all want to get promoted in our jobs, right? This, it's like, this is the next promotion, the next step up the ladder, right? The hunger and the thirst for the righteousness of God. And when, when you're thirsting that, and you start hungering that for other people. Why do we have children's church on Sunday morning? Why do we have Wednesday night GPS and Tupac and all these programs? Why are we doing training on Wednesday night? Because we want our children and our youth to know God, to love him, and to serve him. And we as adults want to do the same thing. We as adults, too, we want to grow, too. We should be hungering and thirsting. If you're, if you're part of, of uh, serving here at the church, then maybe that's why you're serving. And, God, and Jesus is saying, congratulations, blessed are you. Thank you for having that hunger and that thirst and wanting to help others. Because he promises to fill the hungry. Did you see that in that scripture? He promises to fill the hungry as much as they can eat. It's a strange feeling. It's like he fills you, still a little bit hungry for more, Jesus. He still leaves that little hunger in there so you will continue to pursue him. Next up. Above the spotlights, finally, good deal. All right, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's like you've been emptied of your pride, 
your spirit. You've gone through the mourning process, right? You've mourned over your spiritual condition. You've received the, the grace and the meekness and being gentle. And you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. And now, now the one who has shown you and I mercy says, be merciful to others. You know what mercy is, right? It's not getting what you deserve. Oh, you deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. That's called mercy. And Jesus says, congratulations. Way to go. I'm so happy for you. You are now showing other people mercy like I showed you mercy. And that is hard. David showed mercy to King Saul. Remember that? King Saul is like trying to kill him. Like seven murderous attempts at one time. And David still does not take him out. Jesus has a woman at the well, who, or the woman who committed adultery. Everybody's picking up stones and throwing her, and she's like, mm, let you without the sin be the first to cast the stone. Yep, I'm going to show mercy. Even though she did what she did, I'm no better. And I look through this, and it's so hard because here's the thing. Here's what I want to do. I want to judge others. Did you see what they did? I want to blame others. When something goes wrong in my life, it's their fault. It's somebody else's fault. You know what they deserve? And Jesus says, God bless you for showing mercy. Mercy is going to be shown to you. Blessed are you. Next step. Keep going. God blesses those who are pure in heart. Pure in heart. For they will see God. Now, in the ancient Greek, when you look at this whole pure heart thing, this has the idea of being straightforward, being honest, being very clear. It's the thing is, I know I'm a sinner. I get it. I know it. But I'm sincerely seeking to live righteously. That we aren't trying to hide our sin from God. That the person who's pure in heart is not trying to hide from God. If I took all the chairs out of this room and um, we threw down 500 Easter eggs all over the floor and on the windowsills, and I got a little four-year-old out in the lobby and I say, I want you to go in. I hid 500 eggs in there. And I, I hid, right? I hid them. That four-year-old comes in here and looks around like, I found them. Okay, a blind squirrel looking for a nut could have found that one, right? That's what, is that the phrase you use? Something like that. I don't know, something like that. But anyway, that's, that's the funny thing about us. We just like, we sin, we mess up, we make mistakes. And it's like, I bet God won't see it. It's like God walks in here and is like, I can see your sin like I can see these eggs. The pure in heart person says, I'm not going to try to hide it from you, God. I, I, I know I can be rebellious and mess up at times. And I, and I want to let you know, I'm being very transparent with you, God. I want to I have a pure heart. And in this pure heart, you receive the most wonderful reward. Did you see what it says? It says they will what? They'll see God. It's called intimacy with God. You ever have those yay God moments where it's sort of like, we, we might call those, um, what do we call those? A coincidence. Isn't that funny how that worked out? It's like, no, that was God. That was so God. So we dropped off Clay at college. And um, as we are dropping him off, one of the things that took place was the... Um, they, on the Friday night, they have a worship service. You believe that? You go to college, you drop it off your kid. The expectation, going to, going to party school, right? You're and it's like, 
not at the school. We're going to have a worship service, and uh, there's going to be a speaker, and we're going to sing songs. And the speaker got up. is supposed to be the president of the university. His sophomore year, second year there. But he was sick, so his wife got up, and she speaks. So she got up to speak, but part of her story was she had one of the board members of the university come up as well. Because that board member is the one who reached out to the president to ask him to put his name back in the hat to apply for the job of being the president of the university. Now, the president of the university said, I really don't, uh, I don't think I'm interested in this job. And this board member said, well, can I call you and talk to you about it? Sure, you can go call me and talk to me about it. That's fine, whatever. Um, so she makes the call about an hour and a half later, hang out. I don't think I want the job. I don't think I want to put my name back in the job. Okay, that's fine. So next day they have a board meeting. And at the board meeting, they say, how's the search for the presidency coming? Well, he's not very interested. Okay, boy, he would be so good. He just needs to know what this place is like. If he understood what this university is like, maybe he would come. And so one of the board members prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed right there in the board meeting. And asked that that, that night he would not be able to sleep. He would just have a sleepless night. Next morning, board member goes to her computer. There's a computer, or there's a mass email from the soon-to-be president um, saying, sleepless night. And he explained, I've never had a sleepless night in my life. I just, I don't know why, I just couldn't sleep. And of course, the board member's going, we prayed for that. Um, but the whole board, they're like, that was God at work. So that's what I'm talking about. It's like, blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. You have intimacy with God. When you are seeking him, he is there with you. Next step. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will call the children of God. This is getting way up there now. Okay, so some of you are getting a little nervous. I'm seeing some arms grab around and holding each other. Some of you are looking at my wife saying, did he fill out his will? Does he have a living will? Um, so pray. Where am I at? Oh, that's my dragon. Okay. Uh, peace. That's where it is. We are living in a time when it doesn't seem very peaceful, does it? A lot of war, famine. People just get so angry. Say, blessed are the peacemakers. Did you see it said blessed are the, the pot stirrers? Did it say that? You guys know what I mean by pot stirrer. People come and just stir things up. Yeah. It doesn't say that. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. The reward for peacemakers is that you're recognized as true children of God. Now, I'm going to come down before any of you get nervous. Because, by the way, the next step, I got one more is blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, honestly, if I would have gone up to that next step and stood up there and, and preached out the last point that I'm going to make here about being persecuted, I'm standing up there. Let's, let's mark it out here, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> this is eight. And I stood up there and preached with no hands. How many of you, be honest with me, would have said, that's uh, insane, crazy, or stupid, any of those three? Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, great, excellent, thank you. The rest of you are liars. Some of the, the rest of you are like, I want to see you do it. Huh, I'm older now. I, I used to love heights. I really do. Now, when we were hiking, you know, I used to be the guy like, well, that's a long ways down. Now I'm the guy that's like, that's a long ways down. Do you guys want to step back a little bit? Okay. I now understand insurance and all that kind of jazz. Anyway, a lot of you that had your hands up with saying that it's crazy. Here's the thing. When you live for Jesus, people will say you're crazy. People will think you're insane. And you'll be persecuted for it. Now, we're all persecuted differently. As, as a pastor, 
Um, what is a persecution for me? It, it could be something as simple as being isolated or lonely. You can do a conversation with people and like, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, that's nice. Okay. And boom, they go. It's like, uh, they don't want to hang around me because they're going to be righteous or something next to the pastor. I don't know what it is, they, what the thought is, but it's like sometimes you get a little lonely because they don't want to hang out with the pastor, right? So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit of persecution. I don't know. More persecution today is more character assassination. Persecution in third world country, it's still happening today. People being put in prison, people being beaten, people being beheaded. It's still happening today. Just for being a Christian, houses burned down. It's still happening today. Here in America, it's probably more character assassination. You'll be called a bigot. You'll be called a hater. People take, take I call them sniper shots at you. It's like they're off at a distance, writing a little post in social media. They won't come to your face and talk to you about it. They won't ask you questions. They'll just make a comment to make you look bad or to stir something up. They'll do that. That's the kind of stuff we might face as Christians today. Because, you know, the, the proper thing to do is have a conversation. Sometimes we just don't do that. Instead, we just start name-calling. Darkness doesn't like light showing up. Because you have Christ in you, you're going to be hated just because you're a Christian. Happen to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. Persecution will come in all shapes and sizes and forms. It might be anything from just being lonely, uh, being excluded from things in your school or workplace or even your family. It might be name-calling. It could be actual abuse, physical abuse. Persecution will happen. But look what Jesus says. Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my follower. Hey, congratulations. God blesses you because you're being persecuted. God blesses you. God's joyful for you. God is cheering you on through all these things, whether you're poor in spirit or whether you are mourning or whether you're meek or whether you're hunger and thirst, whatever it may be, God's saying, yes, keep it up. Keep it up, worship team. Would you come forward, please? It's as if the higher you go in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you grow. Here's the thing, the more you see. Do you realize that? That's why I love climbing mountains. I don't like walking through valleys. I'll, I'll do it on a hike or two, but if I have a choice, can I climb a mountain or hike through a valley? I like hiking up a mountain. You know what? Because the higher you go on a mountain, the more you see, the more awesome it is. And the more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more powerful it becomes. And as a church, I want to encourage you through these beatitudes. It seems like such an upside down world we're living in, but Christ says, I I'm cheering you on. You're not alone in this. You are not alone. I know it's this. As soon as I start living for Christ, I'll get this out of the way. As soon as I start living for Christ, um, the thing about this, the higher up I go, the more people will see me, right? I, I, really, do not, I really do not like the attention of being up high like that. I, really, I don't. Because it comes about me. And it's not about me. It's all about God. But the, the, more, the more I live for him, the more people are going to see that. 
It's nothing to be ashamed of. You know what's easier? It would have been easier if I would have just sat down here and preached today and made you all stand. That way, some of you don't, you can't even, some of you can't even see me. I'm okay with that. I really am. But Christ did not call us to be a light that's going to be hidden. He calls us to be a light into a dark world. And he encourages us and cheers us on. He says, God bless you. You got this. You got this. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you we could worship you. I thank you for your word. And God, as we seek you now in prayer, as we come to you, God, I just, I pray for this church that we will just honestly ask ourselves, God, am I poor in spirit? Do I recognize my need for you? God, maybe we need to ask the question, God, am I mourning personally this morning? Is my heart heavy? Am I, am I mourning for the world and, and, and how desperate it looks right now? Am I meek? Am I humble? Am I trusting you, even though I can maybe try to take control and take charge? Am I being meek or humble and trusting you? Am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Do I, do I long to see the things done in a godly way? And do I show mercy to others? Even though I would rather not, it honors you that I do show mercy. Am I transparent with you, God? Am I pure in heart? Am I a peacemaker? Do I, do I seek to connect you with people who don't know you so there can be peace between the both of you? God, am I being persecuted? Do I trust you in the midst of persecution? God, in all these things, I want to grow closer. I pray this church wants to grow closer to you. And God, I pray that as we, we trust you and we do these things and we, we take a step, one step after another, we will hear you. We will hear the, your spirit inside us saying, yes, that's it. Congratulations, good job, blessed are you. And let us sense the joy of your spirit inside us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Help us to continue to seek you in this upside-down world, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen.